Good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, it's good to be back from traveling this week. Lauren and the girls and I uh, drove to Dallas, and then flew to, to Portland, Oregon to be with my family. Uh, and it was good, but it was cold, and it was rainy, and it was crowded, uh, especially around time for everyone to find a place to sleep at night. There was just a lot of us together. But it was also a reminder of just the goodness of family and togetherness. And so I hope and pray that this time has been uh, similar for you and your family. Uh, Before we uh, step into the sermon together, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for all the ways that he guides us, uh, for all the ways that he shows us what's possible. When we live a life that is uh, fully entrusted to you, fully given to your mission. And God, as we gather together this morning, just on on the threshold of having celebrated Thanksgiving with our family and our friends, we truly are grateful for the many ways that you bless us and care for us. God, we, we know that you love us, that you want what's best for us. And we know that many times in our lives that the difficulties that we go through are caused by us thinking that maybe we know better than you do, that maybe we have a sense of what should be happening in our lives, and, and it doesn't quite line up with, with what's going on, and we, we can struggle, we can be frustrated by that. But God, we, we come this morning confessing to you that we do trust you, that we trust that you know better than we do, that we trust that you are carrying us through those difficult times. And so, God, this morning, if... if we are going through a time in our life where we need to have a sense of your presence in a special way. We pray for that to happen in this worship time. And God, as we open up your word, as we listen to the the wisdom from the Apostle Paul this morning, uh, God, we just pray that you would help us to also open up our hearts and our lives to listen, to be challenged, to be changed and transformed. We thank you so much for always speaking to us and speaking into our hearts. We pray that you would help us to have the courage to hear. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as I I think back over this past week and and all of the the goodness that was there, I I think of of different memories that I will cherish forever. And I have a feeling that that you in this last week have similar memories that that you're going to hold on to. I remember the, the sound of my mother, the, the, the joyous sounds coming from the other room as she had gathered all of her grandchildren together and they were, they were playing and, and, and making, making up stories and, and just being there together in a time that, that really only comes every, every so often, especially for our girls living so far away from Portland. I think about the, the laughter that I shared with my dad over coffee in the mornings as we we talked about different times in our lives that were, were less than stellar in our childhood. Uh, just decisions that we had made as, as boys that got us into some trouble and, and thinking back over the ways that God had been faithful to us then. I, I remember watching my sister Rachel as she was doing her very best 
and dealing with her son, Corbin, who, who's been diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And, and she's getting him all kinds of different uh, ways to, to try to connect socially. And my family surrounding him and, and seeing all of the progress that he's been able to make over these last couple of years. And, uh, and thinking of just the, the fun that my daughters had with my sister, Jenny, as they gathered together around the table one night and created some crazy craft that they called slime and and Reese had way too much fun trying to gross me out with it and 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 we'll just talk about that later but but they had all kinds of these moments these experiences right as as a family i think about thanksgiving day itself as all 13 of us gathered together and there was tri-tip and turkey and all kinds of sides and desserts too many to count too many to name it wasn't just a bunch of good memories it wasn't just a nice time it was it was blessed. And we talked about last week the fact that, that we, all of us, have these moments every day where we realize that, that I live, that, that we, all of us, live lives that could only be accurately described as a blessed life. And yet we don't always think of it as much as we should. We don't always remember it. And so we don't experience it the way that we could. What that really means, I guess, in most practical terms is that I, I walk around feeling less blessed than I actually am because I'm not actually focused on what it is that God's doing in my life that I should be thankful for. And it seems like as much as I, I know that truth, it takes this time of year every year to remind me once again. And I know that I'm not alone. Because I look at, at the way most of us move through our lives and, and I, I look at the, the frustrations that we express or that we go through based on what, what in any other area of the world or any other area of our life we would say are minor inconveniences. And we act like at times that they're the end of the world. And the only way you can get to that place is to kind of gradually make the decision that, that life is supposed to go well, it's supposed to be one perfect moment followed by another perfect moment. And so when that doesn't happen, there's this anger that we experience. We have a term for this. It's called entitlement. And it's easy for us to see someone else's sense of entitlement. It's a little more difficult for us to see our own. But this time of year, we come to that place where we, we don't just see it in other people. I don't just see it in you, but I see it in me. And I, I start to wonder, what is it that I could do to help me recapture this sense of, of soul-deep gratefulness, thankfulness for all of the goodness in my life? In spite of those challenges, in spite of those frustrations, how can I find that center again? And I want us to focus on some words of wisdom that come to us in, in Paul's letter to the Philippians. If you've got your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start reading together in verse 8. And, and it's here that I think that Paul starts to talk about how, how could we fight back in our own hearts against this, wrong, this wrong-headed sense of disappointment when things aren't perfect. right? How can we find contentment even when life isn't going exactly the way we want it to go? And so he says here in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly. 
in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Now, this passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians is a well-known scripture to many of us if we've been to church for really any length of time, and even if we haven't been to church. Right? That last verse, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You don't have to go to church or open up your Bible to see those words. Right? It's on bumper stickers. If you're watching professional sporting events, somebody in the crowd's going to be holding up some reference to Philippians 4, uh, sorry, 4.13. Right? I even have seen a boxer beat just about the life out of somebody else, win the match, and then as soon as the person starts to interview him, the first thing out of his mouth is, I want to give all the praise to Jesus. I can do all things who gives me strength. Right? You, you have seen these words everywhere. And it's not just Philippians 4.13. It's also that first verse. Right? That list that we've heard before, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, admirable. Now, usually, it, it, you know, it's in a nicer font, and it's, it's got a picture of a sunset behind it. Um, and it just makes you calm looking at it the way that it's been depicted. Um, and it's, it's not just those two verses. You've got the middle verses as well. Now, they're not as well known, but, you know, there's, there's this phrase, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I would claim that that's quotable in its own right. And what I'm trying to say here is these verses, these words in Philippians chapter 4, we, we know them. Most of us know them in some way or another. They're, they're not shiny and brand new. And, and the, the, the danger with words that we have heard before, words that we're, we're familiar with, is that we assume that because we've heard them before, we've truly listened to them before. We assume that we have taken them to heart, but those assumptions, they're not always safe, at least in my experience. Because if we want words to change us, we can't just hear them, we really do have to listen. We have to create space in our souls, not only for those words to enter in, but to stay there, right? To find a home in our hearts, to stay long enough inside of our, our lives for them to start to really create a different way of thinking, a different way of seeing, a different way of living. Now, I'm convinced that if we take the words that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, especially these verses 8 through 13, if we can find a way for those words to stay in our souls, to find a home in our hearts, they really will start to transform us and they'll help us to, to grow gradually out of this spiritual sense of entitlement where we think that as God's people, what we'd really like to have, what we should have, are lives where we don't really have to face any challenges anymore, where we don't have any bad days anymore, where we don't have obstacles we have to overcome and, and find the courage to trust that God will help see us through. Now, as I said, part of our problem in all this is us not being aware of how much we're, we're already blessed. We theoretically know whenever a preacher talks about this or you get to that place on Thursday where some of you may have a, a family tradition of going around the table and everybody saying what they're thankful for. 
and, and there's years where you say those words and you truly mean them, and there's other years where you say those words and you feel like everybody else around the table might feel more thankful than you actually feel in that moment, right? We know that we are, compared to many people throughout the history of the world, not just throughout the world right now, but throughout the history of the world, we are amazingly blessed. But it's one thing to be told that, it's another thing to feel it, to experience it, to know it deep inside of who you are. And so as we, as we look at these words, I think one of the things that Paul's trying to help us get to this place of, of confessing is that there is this spiritual lack of awareness that we're going to have to make decisions to change. It's not going to just automatically change. We're going to have to make a choice. Now, I want to be confessional here. And for, for those of you who know me, you're, this isn't going to be surprising to you. But I tend to look at, at what's going wrong with my life. Right? And if you get too optimistic around me, I start to feel like I'm allergic to it. Right? I get kind of itchy under the collar. And I think, well, you just don't. You're only optimistic because you don't actually have all the facts. Let me inform you. Right? But, but Paul says we need to choose to, to do that, to look at what's going right. Now, Paul doesn't ever say we should ignore the things that are going wrong. But I think he does want us to say, look, we, we recognize that, but that's not the only place we're going to look. It's not the only place that we're going to pay attention. Because, brothers and sisters, you know this from experience. If you look for whatever is broken... Whatever's falling short of what you'd hoped for, whatever isn't quite finished yet, whatever's annoying, whatever's disappointing, whatever's challenging, you will find those things if you look for them. You'll find them in any and every situation that you find yourself having to go through. And once you find these, once you locate these less than perfect aspects of life, you may, like me, find that once you notice them, you can't stop noticing them, that you start fixating on them, almost obsessing about them. This can lead you to the place, many of us, where we end up ignoring, right? We, we become blind to other better things that really are going on in our lives at the very same time. A few years ago, I watched something happen in a, at a McDonald's restaurant that I don't think I'm ever going to forget. Lauren and I were, were rushing one morning and we needed to get some breakfast, so we decided to make the uh, uh, less than stellar dietary option to have breakfast, breakfast at McDonald's, right? It's not healthy, but it is really satisfying, right? Especially if you're hungry. So we're there hoping that we don't run into anybody we know who's healthier than us. And this guy comes rushing in, and he's wearing a really nice suit, and he's holding, you know, one of their large soda cups, and he... he walks up to the, the counter and he says, I've just been in the drive-thru and I would like to talk to your manager. Right? And I think, well, this is about to get good. So I, I start trying to listen a little more carefully. And this is what he says to this, this manager. She finally gets there. They're in the middle of the rush of breakfast. Everything's going crazy. And this guy says, I don't know if you know this, but I have come to this same restaurant 50 days in a row. And I have ordered the same thing all 50 days. And you have gotten my drink order wrong 22% of the time. I have always ordered a Diet Coke. And 22% of the time, somebody's handed me a regular Coke. 
what are you going to do about that? And the manager looks back at him with the same look I have on my face at the back of his head, which is confused wonder. And she says, well, I'm really sorry about that. We'll try to do better. So, but you mean basically 80% of the time you've been getting the right, we just need to improve that. Yeah, no, no, 22% of the time you've gotten it wrong. So not 80%, 78% of the time you've gotten it right. And that's just not acceptable. Well, we'll try to do better. And she hands him a, a Diet Coke and he, he leaves. And I, the two things I can't stop thinking after he leaves is first of all, who does that kind of math about their fast food orders? <laughs> and who goes to McDonald's 50 days in a row without making a documentary about it? Why would you do that on purpose? Right now, I'm telling you that story to tell you this, that all of his attention was focused on one thing about that experience, right? That he got the wrong drink 22% of the time. I'm pretty sure that you can't focus on that and be thankful for the fact that you've had 50 straight mornings of breakfast at the same time. You can't do it. I'm guessing he wasn't thankful in that moment for the fact that he was able to experience something, even with the wrong drink, that 852 million people, they wake up every morning hungry and they can't do anything about it. Now my guess is, if you're just thankful to have anything to eat or drink at all, it's impossible for you to get the wrong drink. It just doesn't come into play. It's irrelevant. You're thankful that you have anything to eat or drink, even a Diet Coke, which is actually what he was ordering on purpose, which I would never do. Right? You don't, you don't get into the, the difficulties of what is it that I'm eating or drinking. I'm just thankful. It is so hard for us to come to terms with having that kind of struggle, right? And Paul knows this. You experience what you notice. You feel what you focus on, right? You, it's just how we are. If it's about that wrong drink order, then you're going to feel not thankful but frustrated, right? That's, that's how we are. Another way to think of this or say it is that you end up living the version of your life story that you tell. The version that you, you tell yourself, the version that you tell other people, right? If, if all I ever think about and talk about is what's wrong in my life, pretty soon my entire life is going to seem to me and probably everyone else like it's just this tragic experience of one bad thing after another, right? If I get to the place where I'm talking about the, the, the career that I have, if, if I describe my workplace and it's always in negative ways, Pretty soon I'm going to find that it's not just that I'm talking negatively about the, the people that employ me or my coworkers, but I've actually created a hostile working environment because everybody knows how I feel about it and they don't want to have anything to do with me. If I talk about my family dynamics and, and all I ever talk about is the fact that, that there are these things about people in my family that I don't like or that I don't feel close enough to them, pretty soon I'm going to find that I'm the one on the outside looking in. Paul understands this reality. We live the version of our life story that we tell. You know it's true from your own experience, even if you've never said it that way. The, the way that we tend to describe it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? That, that you create the very thing that you're afraid of. The only twist to that idea here is we create the very thing that we talk about. We create the very experience that we describe. 
The Apostle Paul knows this truth. He doesn't just know it theoretically. He knows it in his own life. He, he knows that, that we experience what we notice, that we feel what we focus on. So he tells us that if we want to live a better life story, we need to start looking in better places in our life stories. Right? We need to start searching for, thinking about, talking about the things in our life that we know are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and praiseworthy and excellent. Because if we'll start focusing on those things, if we'll start talking about them, we'll start not just seeing them, but we'll actually start feeling them deep in our hearts. We'll move from just describing them to actually living them. And we will stop expecting good things to just happen to us for no good reason. And instead, we'll move to a place of realizing that all of those things that do happen in our lives that are good, they're not accidental. They're placed in our lives on purpose from the heart of a loving God who wants what's best for us. And we will find that the response to that is not entitlement, but gratitude. We'll have this sudden ability to see the whole truth about ourselves. Not only the bad things that frustrate us or make us feel afraid. We'll see all of it. And we'll understand that we all have challenges. Right? And disappointments along the way in our lives. But more than anything else. I mean if we were just using mathematics. Right? It's 22% versus 78%. More than anything else brothers and sisters we're blessed. Our lives are full of, of noble, beautiful, good, lovely moments. We have tasted praiseworthy experiences before and we will again. We need to think about those things. We need to talk about those things. We need to focus on those things because, because we, we live the stories we tell. I tend to look at what's going wrong in my life. And Paul says... Don't just act like that's some sort of situation that you're in that you can't get out of. It's a decision you're making. Focus on the, the things that are going wrong in your life. Make a different kind of decision. Focus on the things in your life that are going right. But then he says something else in these, these verses that we read together. He says something more. He says that focusing on the right things, right? Thinking about them, talking about them. This focus will eventually lead us to the secret of being content of feeling thankful no matter what is happening in our lives. This, this practice of choosing to focus on our blessings helps us find them even when we don't have as many blessings as we'd like. This is moving beyond just recognizing how blessed we already are to redefining what it means to be blessed in the first place. Right? I'll just be honest with you. As I, I was thinking about this sermon series, and as I think about talking to God in prayer, and as I think about talking in sermons or classes at this time of the year, what I'm mostly thinking about is, look, we all just need to stop and recognize just how good our situations are. And then we'll feel thankful. But that's just the first step for Paul, right? He moves beyond that to say, you know what, I'm going to be thankful no matter how good my current situation is or isn't. That there's a thankfulness that can actually transcend the, the content of the situation that we're facing. Another way to think of it is this. That true thankfulness certainly includes being thankful for the good times. 
But true thankfulness is also strong enough to carry us through the less than good times. Paul says that it's a blessing to have food, and I think we'd all agree. And when he has food, he's thankful for it. Because people who've been blessed should be thankful. But what happens when Paul doesn't have food? Well, he's thankful. Because even though he doesn't have food, he feels like he still has God in his life. He has Christ in his life. The Holy Spirit is present in his life. And if he has that kind of presence in his life, then that's going to keep him going even when he's hungry. So he's thankful because he's blessed. And blessed people are thankful people. This is the version of his own life story that Paul deeply, desperately wants to live. And so he chooses to, even when he has nothing else. He has Christ. And for Paul, that's more than enough. And so his life is overflowing with gratitude, even when he doesn't have all the things he might want to have, even when he doesn't have all the things he might need to have. I want to get there someday. In fact, I hope to, to get to that place someday soon. I hope to get to the place where my sense of blessing is defined not, not by how much good I can find in my current situation, but in how much good I can find in my God. That's next level gratitude. Right? It, it's next level thanksgiving. But we have to start somewhere. And so again, I want to encourage you, start by counting your blessings. Start in that place of being aware. Adjust your focus to the, the good things in your life. The, the things that, if you're honest, there's, there's too much to even keep track of. There's too much to count. And, and make the decision. This will make you easier to be around, I promise. Talk more about your blessings than your burdens. I don't even have that problem. I have a spiritual gift of turning blessings into burdens. Right? I, you give me long enough and I can work the negative angle of anything. Right? We, we have this temptation. But, but talk about the good things that God is doing in your life. Talk about the good things that God's doing in our church. Talk about the good things that God's doing at your workplace. Talk about the good things we can see God doing in our community and throughout our world. And then let's be a part of that. And let's believe that even if there aren't as many good things as we'd like, there's still God in the midst of all that. And as long as God is in the midst of all of it, there's enough good in it for us to give thanks. For us to, to give praise. Think about your life story that's most basic. I'll think about mine. Here, here's my life story. That I have enough food to eat. In fact, I have more than enough food to eat. I have enough food to eat that I can be picky. Right? Not everybody has that choice in this world. I, every single day, I get to go home to a nice, safe, well-maintained home that, that not only has enough space in it for me, but for my family. I work at a church filled with people that I love and care about. I work alongside of people on our ministry staff who impress me and encourage me and inspire me to be better. I work underneath an eldership filled with godly, not perfect, but godly servant leaders who are trying their very best to follow Jesus. I, I, I have a wife that I don't deserve. I have two little girls who make me feel like like a million bucks anytime I manage to make them smile. 
even if they're laughing at me and not with me. Right? I... I have friends who make all of it fun and enjoyable and exciting along the way, which means that every single morning when I wake up before I do anything else, if I'm telling the truth, the truth of my life is I am deeply, profoundly, amazingly blessed. And that needs to be my focus. It needs to be the place I'm looking It needs to be not only a kind of experience that I know I have, but the kind of experience I'm trying to share. And I believe that every person in this room could tell a similar story. That if you were honest, when you wake up in the morning before you're anything else, you are truly, deeply, profoundly, amazingly blessed. And so this week, let's stop expecting even more. Just for a week, could we try to stop expecting even more? And, and even if we go through something difficult and there's not enough good in the moment, could we still try to look for the way that God is present in the moment? And to believe that if God is there, if God is present in that moment, then there is enough good, we just missed it? Can we live this week embracing the fact that before anything else happens, We should give thanks, that that before anything else takes place, we should live out our thankfulness. And every decision we make, and every interaction we have, and every prayer that we say, that we find a way to be people who are defined, not by what we want, but by all the good we've already been given, and to live as gracious, grateful people. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, a couple of our shepherds and their spouses will be just outside of these double doors. There's an area there that you can meet and pray and talk with those couples. So if you came this morning with anything on your heart that you that you want to pray about or visit about, if you want to know more about our church or, or more about what it would mean to commit your life to following Jesus, they want to talk with you. They want to be there for you. So please go to them as together we stand and sing.